0: You get people really, really excited about doing things in a different way, but you've done nothing to provide the environment for these people to actually practice that new way of of working, of collaborating. So you actually end up with people even more frustrated because now they see, hey, there's a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking, but I can't practice it.
1: Friction... This huge psychological burden. Without friction, we would not have fire and we would not have sparks. I gotta get a (laughs) knife. I gotta hide it. They end up spending a lot of time ruminating. Hi, I'm Bob Sutton. I'm an organizational psychologist and Stanford professor. And this is the Friction Podcast. In today's episode, we escaped from the Stanford campus to interview Sam Yen on location at the offices of SAP in Palo Alto. Sam spent 13 years at SAP. At the time we interviewed him, he was managing director of SAP Silicon Valley and the chief design officer for all of SAP. Sam is now a senior executive at J.P. Morgan Chase. I've known Sam for a long time. As you'll see, he's such a nice guy and an optimist, and he's wicked smart. We invited Sam to the podcast because of his experience leading the scaling of design thinking in a huge global corporation. One thing I love about Sam is he gives us much needed hope that organizations can grow and get more complex while still doing interesting work and without driving people crazy. So how did the design thinking movement start at SAP? And let's hear about your role, since you, that's the part you would know best anyways.
0: Yeah, so you would think that it would be smooth, right? We had the founder <laughs> back in 2004, 2005, our founder and chairman, Hossa Plattner, uh, just got very interested in design thinking and the, and the value that design thinking could bring uh, back into SAP, but just in general for, for industry and business. I think, I think what worked was at a very senior level, uh-huh. we were able to show you know a completely unexpected take <laughs> on a lot of the projects uh-huh. that we were asked to look at. And I think it was it was very clear and 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 it was mostly received very positively mm. at the executive level, right What didn't work well was exactly the setup that I was just talking about. I, I, I think the, sometimes the problem is you you get a high- level executive, like in our case, our founder and chairman really excited about, design uh-huh. thinking. And, and in this case, it was a magazine article, actually. Uh-huh. Often in other organizations, it's because of some executive ed program or some boot camp or, or, or some speech that somebody sees. And, and immediately what this executive wants to do is they, uh, you know, not start small, but, hey, I need my entire division or my entire organization to, to be trained on design thinking. So they,
1: they just want to scale it up immediately. Let's Absolutely. roll it out.
0: Yeah, this was, you know, this was such, you know, I, I had such a great experience with this. We need this within our culture. Uh-huh. Um, you know, train as many people as you can. And we did that as well. I think we trained thousands and thousands of people uh-huh. in our first six months, one year. And, and the problem with that is you get people really, really excited uh-huh. uh, about doing things in a different way, but you've done nothing to provide the environment for, the, for, for these people to actually practice that new way of, 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 of working, of collaborating. So you actually end up with people even more frustrated Uh, than they were uh, before, because now they see, hey, there's there's a new thing, a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking. Our executives support it, but I can't
1: practice it. But the difference between SAP and other organizations that have gone through that phase is you you sort of went near the valley of death, Mm -hmm. but you didn't make it all the way. You pulled it out. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, to me, that's what's unusual about your story is that uh, is that you're still doing it and, and it changed.
0: I, I think what really worked is, you know, as you said, you know, we were we weren't getting as much traction as we uh-huh. thought we were, and, and also Hassel was was a little frustrated that, you know, how could something uh-huh. that you know he he saw as so critical, this going back to SAP's roots, uh, was so obvious in his mind that uh-huh. you know why wasn't the organization picking it up, and he did something that was very very um, strategic, I thought. I think twice a year we meet with some of our most important customers. These are some of the biggest oh. customers that we have, and and we have a, a two or three day. You know, it's it's like a strategy session where we're meeting with the the the, the highest ranking person within that organization. We talk about the relationship and uh-huh. strategically what we're doing going forward. And also said, why don't we why don't we introduce our most strategic customers? to design thinking as a way where you know how, how we could, you know, help co define our futures together using design thinking as a methodology. We crafted a three day program. Where we actually introduced design thinking in the course of that that program, it was it was it was, it was really funny. It was like dinner theater, uh-huh. right? So there was like a design exercise in the cocktail hour, uh-huh. and then you know between the salad and the main course, we'd clear the table. And this was all a project that uh-huh. the, the, the different tables would have to do. We would start brainstorming on the tablecloths or whatever. Everybody had a lot of fun, and the customers, again, SAP's top uh-huh. customers, they got so excited about the methodology. Uh, they said, how do we learn more? You know, this is how huh. we should communicate with you. This, And of course, with our top customers there, we had our top salespeople there sitting with the customers. And they saw the customers start to reveal stuff about their future, what uh-huh. they needed from SAP, what they wanted SAP to be. And when you get your top customers asking for something, you know, you get your sales force really, really excited about it. So it was mm-hmm. really kind of an outside in pull. Well, so
1: that's, that, I mean, that really is an interesting switch because it's one thing when the CEO and the senior executives tell you to do it and they try to change your incentives or whatever, which happens in every company. But uh, seating with the customers, people start believing it because, uh, well, that's where our money comes from. So oh. that's that, that's brilliant. When you hear the word friction, what what comes to mind? What words, what emotions? Uh, I, I think frustrating,
0: right? Um, because you know that things can be done in a more effective way. In order, a lot of times... Friction is brought up in the context of innovation, right? Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes it's like the the opposite of innovation, and you're trying to achieve, you know, your, uh, your uh, a speed that that you can innovate as fast as you want. You're recruiting people that have that same kind of mindset, uh-huh. and it's just like everything opposite of you know what you know that kind of mindset is to to people.
1: Okay, so so that be a little bit specific. Like, what can you tell us about like a project? You, you, you know, I, th-
0: I think the most frustrating thing was on some of these projects, we would actually get to a, uh, when we worked with the product teams, we would actually get it to a prototype and uh-huh. we would get customers to acknowledge how they would love for us to kind of take it in that direction. And there was, there was that, that thing that always is, is the death of a lot of things is you hand it off to another team. Okay. Right, so you've got the team that did the research and did the quote-unquote innovation stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and you've got the team that actually has the responsibility of doing the execution and to see that gap but but the other thing, which was you know sometimes just frustrating, is to see what the vision was, and then to see the compromises. Oh, uh, just get watered
1: down and yeah,
0: like you know this compromise, this compromise, and when you actually saw the final product come out, you know maybe half a year later, a year later, it, w- it was it was unrecognizable from the original vision.
1: So that's the classic thing that the the journey from fantasy to reality in life is always hell, yeah. and it's always going to be that way, but. Structurally, that sounds like a situation where there was the creatives and then there was the implementers. Because that's a standard friction problem. You're throwing it over the wall and then something happens to it and your child I, I, gets ruined. Th- I think ruined. that
0: was one aspect. And the other aspect was just the, you know this notion of ivory tower group, uh-huh. uh, special treatment. You have no concept of what actually takes... Uh, to really bring things into the marketplace, you don't have the same conditions that we do. Uh-huh. Um, so, so the, there was that friction where you know you're not aligned uh-huh. from from the very beginning, um, and there wasn't kind of the collaboration and, and the involvement of, of of the teams from the very beginning and an understanding of their context, right? You know, design thinking uh-huh. um, not only from the perspective of the end user and 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 what are we doing to solve the, the needs of the end user, but what about you know what about a little design thinking? with the teams that we're working with and what are what are their pain points okay. and, and how do we kind of make sure that and at the end of the day it's not making sh- making the ivory tower group look successful but at the end of the day we want to make the, the internal team successful and willing to drive that forward Right, that okay. was a big lesson for so us.
1: And that is interesting because thinking of not just design thinking but other movements one of two things happen is the believers are frustrated because they say there's no support but the critics can say see it doesn't work we spent all this money it just doesn't work
0: yeah and, and there's a lot of critics, and um, I, I, I think, and, and, and you know, one of the one of the things that I've seen is when something gets popular, um, you know, you whitewash it or right. greenwash it or whatever you want to call it, and that's 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 really really dangerous, um, as, as as we saw with, with design thinking, where uh-huh. people will co-opt the term, but they'll actually have a, a slightly different meaning or or intent with how to use that term, and then it's you know it starts to get diluted very very quickly. What we've seen is people that have co-opted the terminology, uh-huh. but really haven't understood what that means. And uh, you
1: could see that very quickly in the actions that happen. Right? So the products they make and how they spend their time.
0: It's, it's, it's really kind of, if, if you ask them to go one level deeper uh-huh. and, and, and ask them you know, how that changes what you do today from what people have done before. Okay. Right? I mean, when you engage, it's almost, it's almost that, that very first conversation oh yeah, we do that already and we call it this, but it, uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll just relabel that this. Almost every single time, you know, that, that doesn't lead very far. right? It's, it's people that, that really take uh-huh. the time to understand what's fundamentally different. And then people that will engage at a lower level and not immediately assign that
1: to somebody else to take over that and run. Well, that's right? another thing is that they just, it's not somebody else's job, but, but it, it is interesting because we've both been involved in the, you more than me in the design thinking, um, scaling yeah. wars for years. And that's one of those symptoms is you have certain unnamed companies that, well, they're really good at talking about design thinking. And then you say, uh, can you name one product or service that has been affected by design thinking? They can't name one. That's when, or they name one that really wasn't. That's when I get nervous. Uh, I I see also a challenge when you're
0: hiring people in. Uh People that are too, I guess, religious Yep. about about what design thinking means and, and this is how it should be practiced because this is how we learned it in school or this is how we did it at the last company. That's also very, very difficult because I, I think with every single company, with every single project even, right. you have to you have to be willing to compromise some things in order to kind of achieve the, the ultimate output and that's going to be different from case to case.
1: Yeah. What are the kind of people you look for to... Because you can just get frustrated in a big company and say, oh, I can't get anything done here. Yeah. And then there seem to be people who get stuff done regardless of the obstacles. Yeah.
0: I'm going to tell a story that Hasso told me once. Oh, uh, please. So, so uh, when, when he looked for hires, uh-huh. uh, it, um, he would look for people that had backgrounds in physics or mathematics. Mm-hmm. He would look for people uh, that studied classical languages. He would look for people that were maybe semi pro athletes or, or, or training or, uh-huh. or, or semi pro
1: musicians. Okay, and, and the common theme is. And, and the co- I don't know if there's a common
0: theme, but but, but but a lot of those things is, um, you know, I think from from the science and the, the mathematics perspective, uh. you know, people that you know you know thought about things from a from a from a first principles perspective okay. Would, okay. would see a would see a bigger picture. Um, I think that was also from a Latin perspective, mm-hmm. classical languages, um, and then from a training perspective, you know, if you're if you're a semi-professional athlete mm-hmm. or 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 you know working to be part of an orchestra, there's a certain rigor. Yep. um and grit and grind that you have to go through and I, and I think that's really important in a in a in a software company in, in an enterprise software company in a B2B type of company because it's it's not just about how fast you get something out into the marketplace mm-hmm. right that's important but when when you when when you touch 300,000 plus companies mm-hmm. around the world uh, you know, you you need to kind of take a look at well, what's the potential impact that your innovation could actually have, right? And you may have to wait a little bit longer, um, but but the impact can be so much bigger if you're touching, you know, seventy-five percent of the world's transactions, right?
1: Since you've had a lot of. Uh, a purview into many other companies? Are there other sources of friction that don't necessarily happen at SAP, but you tend to see other places?
0: To be honest, Uh, I I see more patterns of friction as opposed to things that are super, super unique to one particular company. uh,
1: For example? Uh, For example, terminology. Ooh, let's talk about, yeah, Yeah. because we've been talking about language in some of our other meetings. So talk a little bit about that. How does terminology cause problems?
0: Just the term design thinking, right? Design comes with all kinds of connotations about, uh-huh. you know, how things look. You know, making things look pretty. Um, thinking is the opposite of doing.
1: Right, right, right. Right.
0: So, I mean, those two words in, in, in a corporate context. You might actually consider those as, as you know a terrible term when if you it's want people, people th-
1: sitting around thinking about the color of the drapes sort that's of right. in the, in that's the worst right. stereotype. Right. Yeah,
0: but that's a, that's a common thing. It seems like almost every single company has trouble introducing the term design thinking. Correct. Except, I mean, there's some some momentum now. I mean, it was it was worse um, five years ago, ten years ago now it it seems to be more adopted as, as a common term but uh, but but I do see over and over again that companies will try to redefine uh, a term for design
1: thinking in their own context see, it, it is interesting because this is it 's two thousand and seventeen and where whatever design thinking is, is is a known movement there's people have all these titles now i mean our, our friend Diego Rodriguez just got a senior job at Intuit being kind of head of design thinking. But if you go back to the earliest days, this is a language story. Uh, Claudia Kochka, who led the design thinking movement at Procter & Gamble, was very successful. One of the re- things that she did, this is 2004, 2005, is she on purpose didn't use the term design or design thinking because she was afraid people would think it was jargon. She just used the term innovation. But if you look what she, she led, it was all design thinking. It was, it, it was actually a, almost a pure design thinking play.
0: I, I think you have to you have to tune it um, to, to make sense in your cultural context uh-huh. within with your, your company and also your historic context, right? So, we also, I mean, we you know, again, design thinking is pretty pretty standard now, right? Uh, but 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 there was a point where we started to position it as the SAP way, just because uh-huh. you know this whole thing started because our founders thought that this was the key ingredient for making SAP successful. Back to the early days of the founder, he felt that we we could take this design thinking stuff and spread that across SAP, right? You know that was that was the First vision, and what initially drew me to that vision was, you know, he said, "This is this is how SAP used to work." You know, this this notion of understanding our customers really, really deeply. You know, so, um, being,
1: so being customer focused, being iterative. Absolutely. Constantly doing user testing, yeah. The, so you know,
0: w- without the language, right? right? You know, empathy and 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 prototyping and all that stuff. This is this is what they did to be successful. And his vision was to bring that back at SAP. You know, he had grown from the five people in 1972, the five founders, to at the time when he was learning about design thinking, this was 2004, had grown to 40,000 people. And he felt that you know somehow we had lost some of that that, mm-hmm. that you know that 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 spark, that creativity, uh, that creative culture, um, that. You kind of lose as you start to scale you know, from, from one organization, from mm-hmm. one country, as you, as you start to grow, basically.
1: So Sam, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Um, it's been fascinating to hear about your career, to hear about design thinking at SAP, and also how you've reached out and had an impact on so many other companies.
0: Thanks, Bob. It was a lot of fun.
1: the thing that I hope you will take away from Sam's episode is the importance of meeting people where they are. Organizational change doesn't just happen because leadership is on board for a new initiative and orders everybody to do it. And it isn't achieved by just bombarding people with new language and new jargon. Change is measured by behavior and output. And it only happens when you connect with the people who actually do the work and figure out their motivations. And as Sam showed us, change is especially effective when you connect customers as well as employees to your mission. Please spread the word about the Friction Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues, your family, and even your therapists. On the next episode, we will be joined by Jennifer Anastasov, former head of people at the United States Digital Service. We're going to talk about reducing friction in the federal government and building a culture based on results, not optics. And now for the final tangent.
0: It's okay to have some people that only come to SAP and work for one year or two years and move on, uh, because they bring a certain energy right, 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 right. And, and an optimism, and uh, you know, part of, and that's part of the culture. And there's going to be some people that want to stick around and you know have the grit and want to scale. Um, So, so, you know, not everybody has to have a 10-year, 20-year, 40-year career. I I,
1: I think that that, that's a a great point because, you know, so much of uh, the world we're involved in, everybody's supposed to be great at everything. But if you can just be great at one thing, that's actually really a lot. (laughs) We can't do this without you. Tell us what's driving you crazy and what are you doing to make life better in your organization, for yourself, and for the people that you work with? please send us your Friction stories, tips, and tricks. We'd love to hear from you via Twitter at eCorner, or please send us an email at stvp-eCorner at stanford.edu. The Friction Podcast is a Stanford eCorner original series brought to you by Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Designing Organizational Change. Friction is produced by Rachel Jilkowski and Ali Rico. Jake Smith and Stice Studios are our editor and audio engineers. Susie Allen and Victoria Johnson are our writing and marketing team. Danielle Stussy is our designer and digital products manager. And I'm Bob Sutton. Thanks for joining us. This is the Friction Podcasts.